he's one of the first guys that David meets here in the chapter, starting in the uh, verse 9 or so of chapter 19. Shimei has gone out and gotten a thousand Benjamites to come with him to uh, to receive the king. And I think no doubt Shimei realized that he was in trouble. You know, after what he had done, uh, kind of turning against David when he left, now all of a sudden David's come back and David, uh oh, what am I going to do? And the same with Ziba, remember, Mephibosheth's uh, uh, servant. Uh, and he's lied and misrepresented Mephibosheth. And so they're, they're in a, they're not sure what they're going to, uh, see when David comes back, how they're going to be treated. But to me, it's just kind of a neat thing because it reminds us that, you know, when Christ comes back, what's important, first of all, is that we are in Jesus Christ, right? Our sins are forgiven. We shall be judged by our works in the sense of a Christian. Have we been faithful? But we know that at the end of the day, uh, none of us deserve heaven. Uh, and so God, here David uh, re- brings peace to Shema. He does not... Um, Treat him as he deserves. So I, I just think that we see kind of grace in, in this, uh, in David's return. Uh, yeah, those are the two things that we dealt with, uh, last week, and I'll kind of skip through that. I think. I'm not getting anything working today. There we go. Alright, so. It looks like David is more concerned with making rebels loyal subjects than he is exacting vengeance on anybody. And what happens here in uh, chapters 19, especially the latter part, is that uh, we're going to see the, um, the, the the northern tribes are talking about hey, we need to go and help bring David back uh, to Jerusalem. But they don't do it. Uh, eventually, the, uh, David sends word to the to Judah, which is where he was from, that tribe, and says, you know, why I, we're close, for, uh, you know, we're kinfolk. Why aren't you uh, kind of coming with me and helping me celebrating and, and escorting me back to Jerusalem? And so they do that, and, and, and the northern tribes hear about it. They get all upset. They run up. You know, what's going on? You know, we've talked about this and, and we've got a greater share in, uh, in, in Israel than Judah does because we're 10 against the, the two tribes that Simeon and Judah that have become Judah. And so we have all this strife and that's one of the things we want to look at today too. Um, <clears throat> and wisely or not, I think probably unwisely, David, when he sends word to Judah, he forgot the fact that, well, I'm the king of the whole nation, and so I should have got all the, the kind of brought us all together. But by showing favoritism to Judah and getting the northern tribes upset, we see the seed of division, which, of course, is later going to kind of spill out into the, 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 the nation being divided into north and south. And so we kind of see in chapter 19 and 20 uh, this the seed of this division finally taking place. But in verses 8 through 15, uh, David is returning to Jerusalem. The people are welcoming him back. And uh, 
we see here that uh, it, 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 just when you think, well, I've, I've been through so much, and so finally I get a, a, a little break. I thought about second or First Peter four two or twelve. Beloved, be not surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now, in Peter's day, there was certainly an intense persecution, right? But I, you know, again, it, it's just written down for our benefit, and I think it just reminds us that uh, don't be surprised as if it's strange that you're suffering. Because that's what you've been called to do. And this is, as I've said before, it's one reason why I, I, I'm, I don't hold a post-millennial view of eschatology that the church is going to triumph uh, and, and basically Christianize the world. I wish that was the case. I mean, what, who wouldn't, right? That that the the gospel would go out and people would be saved and, and we become Christianized. It's happened in pockets and in, in countries now and then. But no, the, the, the Bible is very clear that the church will be a suffering church. That you're going to, and it goes back to what we're going to deal with a little bit this morning in, in 1 Corinthians. We talk about the gifts. The, the, uh, the Corinthians, remember, were, uh, had thought they had arrived. Everything was going so well for them. And they had these great gifts that people were showy and they were lifted up in pride. And, and Paul, remember in chapter 4 says, you think already you're teens and you're reigning, but the truth is that's not the case. You're not what you think you are. It's, it's that over-realized eschatology. And so David reminds us here uh, as he comes back and he faces division and problems that that's the lot that we've been called. It doesn't mean that our life has to always be complete shambles or great trials always and tribulation, but uh, that's the way we demonstrate the grace of God to this world as we are patient and loving and serving in difficult times, right? So I, I think First uh, Peter 4.12 is something that we always have to keep before us. <clears throat> and as we read of all the intrigue here, we can't help but be reminded of how fickle sinners are. Unless the Lord, that we read, uh, builds the house, it will not stand. You know, I marvel that any church can for last very long and has peace, uh, you know. And I'm not saying that to to uh, deride this church because I've never been. In, I've been in a lot of churches and we're, it's full of sinners. I don't care how big or small it is, you know. And it's it's amazing that there's peace and unity for any period of time. But I know it's the work of God because when, once God takes His hand off of something, that's the end of it. And I've seen that. I I've seen uh, churches. Well, I'll say that it happened in my last church, and, and I and I, I could say that without worrying too much because it's not like that was a unique situation or a unique church. Uh, right when when our church was doing so well, the, the attendance was uh, is you know in the sixties, and which which again is something that had been built up through the years. And just things were doing so well, and boom, the Lord sent. Uh, it allowed, uh, you know, adultery and a, and, a, and a thing to take place that just completely caused problems. Now, the church has rebounded to some degree, and that's why, one reason why I felt like I had to leave. But, but you know, it's just amazing, you know. And, and it's, I don't think it's always through any fault of the church. It's just that that's what happens. It, it's the lot that we've been called to do. We have to deal with that. 
because we can be so petty. And that's one of the things we see here with these, um, the north, northern tribes and the southern tribes that we'll see here at the end of the chapter where they, it, it sounds so petty. We'll read about, we'll read it here in just a minute. Just their argument and, and their, you know, well, you know, David didn't treat me as well as, you know, didn't treat us like he treated you. And it sounds so petty. And once you get your, your focus off of the gospel and off of Christ, these are the things that happen. And so David is a great example of how patient the Lord is with us. As he returns, he encounters people that did not, in every case, do him right when he left. Uh, but he comes back and he shows grace and mercy to them. And so, as we saw there in verse 16, he, the first person he meets is Shimei. Shimei has brought <clears throat> a thousand people with him to show his loyalty. And, uh, you know, I was thinking... Uh, it reminds me anyway, again, you know, I'm just saying this is things that I, observations that I see. Shemai at one point betrayed David, right? He was throwing rocks at him. He was saying that David needs to die. And at some point there's a change. And now as David comes back, instead of, of being judged, Shemai maybe shows a, a person who, you know, didn't start off too well, but he's bringing a thousand people with him. Okay, well, that, that's that's a good goal, right? That when the Lord comes back, or when I when I die, when I go to meet the Lord, can I say, well, you know, I I have not always been a very faithful servant, but at least you know, here are some people I I've, I've been a witness and I've done what I can, and, and so when I when the Lord comes back, I have something to offer Him, and, and that's kind of what Shemai. I see in Shemai, he he was a problem, but um, he has. Uh, brought a, a thousand people to stand with David. Uh, and so I, I thought that was kind of neat. He brings enemies to Christ, you know, in a sense. And then in uh, verse 21, though, we notice that uh, as they meet them, Abishai, remember, this is Joab's brother, and those, and those three guys were, you know, great warriors, but they were a little rough around the edges, to say the least. And so in verse 21, Abishai, the son of Juri, answered, Shall not Shemai be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Lord's anointed. David said, have, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zuri? I mean, how many times has he said that? That you should uh, this day be as an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? Or do I not know that I am the king of Israel? This day, king over Israel. So basically, he's saying this is a day of of a celebration. I'm not going to kill people. Uh, I've been restored back to uh, the king, being the king of Israel. So we see Abishai's lack of grace. And again, so say, well, what, what, what's there? Well, I, I want to be like David. David is quick to forgive, right? Quick to forget. And there are times when people are going to have to answer for their actions, right? There's times where you can't be merciful. You've got to do what you've got to do. But David, it seems to me, at this point, he's more concerned with showing grace and mercy and getting people back together again and uh, not to hold grudges and things like that. And I'm saying, well, I want to be, I don't want to be like uh, Abishai. I want to be like David. I want to be merciful. I want to be quick to forgive. 
to forget offenses, right? And I can remember, there's lots of times where I have asked the Lord, said, Lord, in this matter, something's happened. Give me a short memory. Just help me forget about this, not to dwell upon it. It's over, it's done with. It's not going to do me any good to, to, to dwell on it anymore. You know, you, you've given it to the Lord. You, you, you perhaps, you, you, you've forgiven somebody or whatever the situation might be. Short memories. And David here, to me, exhibits a short memory. Right? If you, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, but I, and every once in a while, something will cross my mind that happened in the past, and I, and I hadn't thought about it for maybe years. And I just thank the Lord. I said, Lord, thank you that I, it's not something that I, I well thought, that, because it would serve no purpose. And uh, so Shemai has thrown down his rebellion, and he's ready to serve, and David says it's good enough. I, you know, he's repented it. Let's be merciful. <clears throat> well, another person that David meets here, uh, he, of course, he also meets during this time uh, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant. That, uh, and again, Ziba reminds me of somebody who, you know, has not been a particularly good person, but he did serve. He, he did what he could. He gave David food, and David, when he comes back, is merciful to him and. and uh, let's Mephibosheth and him divide the land and doesn't hold it against it. Here in verse 24, he meets Mephibosheth. And, and th- this is probably, the, the, to me, the highlight of the chapter because uh, let's just start reading here in verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. Now, again, if, if we're thinking about David, this is the second coming, or, or this is, the, in some cases, the second coming for most Christians I guess, is going to be death. Christ is going to come and receive us at death, right? So it's when we meet the resurrected Lord, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so here's Mephibosheth. And during this time of when he wasn't with David, David was gone. He had neither taken care of his feet, which I take, uh, you know, some people would say that he didn't clip his toenails or he didn't wash them because, you know, with sandals back in those days, foot washing was a big thing. So in some way, he didn't take care of his feet. Then again, I think I said this last week, David probably was, this is only a matter of weeks or maybe a couple of months that David was actually gone. So it wasn't like years or anything like that. So he hadn't taken care of his feet or trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And We've already talked about this, how Ziba had lied about him and had slandered him before David. And so uh, he says in verse 27, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. He, he, he says, Lord, you know, whatever you do is fine. It's a great attitude of a believer. For all my father's house were but doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among them to eat at your table. What further right have I than to cry to the king? I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? That, that's what Mephibosheth speaks, to me anyway. He demonstrates this. He he knows he's lame. He knows he's under the, he's a child of sorrow and he, and he deserves death. So whatever you do is good. That's the attitude of a, of a believer who is, I think, strong in the Lord. And so, 
verse 28, uh, excuse me, verse 29, the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And the Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. He, he says, look, it doesn't matter. All I care about is that I am with David and that I can eat in the presence of David, uh, who he loved, who was his savior in that sense. And so what an example. To me, you know, I don't know if you ever read uh, John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. He kind of deals with, you know, the, the, what our priority should be in this time, you know, in our lives now. And membership to me is, is a quintessential example of how a Christian should live his life. Um, you know, it, David probably... Um, what does he say here? Look, I haven't uh, washed my feet. I haven't um, trimmed my beard. I haven't done any of these things. And it, it, it's how we're waiting for the Lord to come. Uh, his, he was lame. His servant had betrayed him. Uh, yet his dirty feet and whiskers and smelly clothes testified of this, that I love David. That's what all I care about. Now, I don't get from that that what I'm saying is that if we're just to sell everything we have, we don't take care of ourselves, we just sit there and wait for Christ to come back, right? That's kind of what Mephibosheth did to some degree. But, of course, I think, again, he was assuming that David would come back pretty soon. But but what it, it, what, it, what I want us to see is the attitude. Listen, when, when, when I'm not with David, the one that I love, my Savior, nothing else matters. And, and what a great example to me. Uh, I, I thought about Mark 14, uh, verse 3 through 10. We won't read it right now, but um, I don't think I have that. No, I didn't put that down here. Um, oh, yeah, I did. Uh, I'll let you read if you want to. I won't take the time to do it. But here, of course, it was uh, just before the week, the last week of Jesus, before the cross. And this woman comes with that expensive alabaster flask of ointment, and she breaks it, and she, she pours it over his head, so she anoints him, as it were. And whether she understood exactly what was going on or not, the disciples, of course, uh, well, this could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. And, of course, uh, we, we've seen this kind of attitude before from especially Judas, and that they really were concerned about the poor. Uh, they didn't like, they didn't feel like Jesus was worth the money. But Jesus says, no, leave her alone. Why trouble you? What she's done is a beautiful thing. The poor you'll always have with you. Wherever, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand. So she, he basically says that this is uh, like my anointing, my, of, of my burial. And so she's doing what she can. She doesn't say, well, look, I, I have this expensive ointment, so I've got to keep this and use it. I might need it when I retire or whatever. No, the opportunity was there. She, she says, nothing else matters. I'm going to give this to the Lord. And, and, and the Lord is pleased with that. And, and I kind of think it, it reminds me a little bit of what Mephibosheth did. I was reading about a, uh, Young kid uh, in, on the mission field, I assume maybe in Africa, uh, 
someplace with crocodiles, right? Uh, his name was Orop. And Orop was evidently dyslexic. It's a story, again, I'm not sure exactly sure when this took place, but some time ago he was dyslexic. So he, he had, he could not, they had a school where they had limited kids, lim, limited room. And he couldn't write his name. He couldn't uh, write. He, he just got confused. The letters, you know, again, if you, any of you have ever experienced that, uh, you know, it, it, for years people just thought, well, something you know, they were you know, mentally retarded or something. They didn't realize there was, you know, was order. And he he just couldn't learn because of that. Finally, the missionary said, "Look, we we don't you can't come to school anymore because we can we can put you another kid in your place." And Orpa, you know, or not Orpa, but um, Orop had a, a good attitude, and so he would uh, stand outside the, win- the window of the school and listen and learn what he could, and li- learn the. the uh, he loved to listen to the uh, stories of Jesus, and uh, then he would go and he would gather his friends around after school, and he would uh, relate stories to Jesus, but he he. he he didn't understand what he was doing, and often he got the facts wrong and found the missionary. And, you know, you, you feel sorry for the missionary, too, because the missionary tells him, look, I don't want you to relate the stories of Jesus anymore because you, you're not doing it right. You know, you can't feel sorry for the kid, too. And, but he had a, a great attitude, and the missionary said, look, every day I go to a different village to, to teach them about Jesus. I'll let you carry the Bible. And Orop was happy to do that. And uh, so one day they're out, and uh, a kid gets attacked by a, a, a crocodile, and Orpa goes, or Orop goes, and he he uh, starts beating on the the uh, and fighting the crocodile to save this kid, which he does. But of course, in the, in, the, in in doing that, the uh, crocodile eats him, and there's a, a, a one arm and one leg that's all that's left of Orop. Well, uh, he had told his mother. About Jesus, and that someday when he died, Jesus was going to take him to heaven, grab him by the hand, take him to heaven. And so, at the death of her son, she gets saved. She she converts to Jesus Christ uh, through her son's testimony. So, again, say, well, what's it got to do with any of this? Well, you got Mephibosheth, you got Orop, you got this woman with the alabaster basket uh, clasp. They're just doing what they could. Mephibosheth couldn't do much, but he could uh, deny himself, as that woman denied herself, right, something, or denied himself, and uh, served the Lord faithfully, and uh, they're, they're rewarded for it, right? And so, uh, it's just to me a great example of how we live our lives. We wait for Jesus, because the Bible tells us to, to pray that the Lord will come back soon, to live expectantly, right, for the Lord. What does that mean? Does it mean that we're just every day, uh, I can't wait for the Lord to come back? Well, not really. I mean, th- th- that might be part of it. But to live expectantly is, there's work to be done. What would please my Savior, right? What what needs to be done? What needs to be done in the church? What needs to be done with the, those that I know who don't know Christ? <clears throat> And I think all three of these guys um, teach us something about that. Even Shimei, he brings a thousand people to David. Uh, Ziba wasn't the, 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 he, he had his problems, but he did 
received David uh, on his way out of, of Jerusalem. Remember that? So, as someone said, oddly enough, it was unclipped toenails and an unshaved facial hair and dirty clothes that, in, I think, in some ways surpassed all the other gifts. Mephibosheth didn't have much. But what he did showed how much he loved David. He did what he could. Then, in verse 31, the next person that David meets is uh, Barsali. He was an old man at the, getting the end of his life, and David uh, says, look, you've been loyal to me. You've, you've fed me. You've given me food. Uh, come on to Jerusalem and, and celebrate with me and live with me. And Barsali pretty much said down here, um, in, starting in verse 31 on, uh, you know, I'm old. Why should I uproot myself? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay here with my family and I'm gonna die and, and I'm happy. I, I've had a good life. I, I didn't want to do that. So, you know, he's, um, not able to do much. And, uh, but he's been loyal and he dies, uh, satisfied. He has a satisfying end because he's, uh, done what he could for David. He doesn't have to die again as when we grow old. If the Lord allows us to die, uh, at an old age, we don't have to die kicking and screaming. We don't have to die unsatisfied or regrets. Just be faithful. Do what you can to the Lord. You can die in Him and, and die satisfied. And, and Barcelona certainly does that. Well, let's read here starting in verse 41 because here we have the men of Israel as I talked about. Um, then all the men of Israel came to David and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stole you away and brought the king and his household over Jordan and all of David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? We have eaten, have we eaten all of the, at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? They said we weren't bribed. And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also, we more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak about bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So again, I think you see there, it's just, it's, it's just, when I read it, it just seems so petty. They're, they're missing the point. David is back. The king is, kingdom has been restored. Let's Forget about that. But the other thing, though, I think that's interesting about this is that um, they had spoken. If you go back earlier in verse um, 11, the king of David sent his messengers to uh, Zadok and Abiathar. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to Israel when the words of when the word of all Israel has come to the king. Um, and then there's another place here. I didn't write that verse down, I don't think. But there, maybe someone could find it. But earlier in there, um, we read of nor- the northern tribes speaking together. Because they said it right here. Did we not say the first to speak up bringing back the king? And that is, there's a, uh, I wanted to read that. I wrote down the wrong verse. Um, I 
Well, anyway, I don't want to spend any more time looking for it. But it, it's just where they, they said, uh, we should go and basically escort David back. And the minute the northern tribe said that. And that's the last you hear about it until that David uh, maybe unwisely uh, tells Judah to do it. And now all of a sudden, it, the northern tribes are upset about this. Again, again, it, it just seems to be kind of pettiness. But, but I, again, if we're thinking about, okay, how do we live our lives while Jesus is gone? Uh, they talk a lot about living and, and, and you know, living in a way to escort the king back. You know, living in light of the, of the second coming, living in light of David coming back. They spoke about it, but they didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden you got Judah and they did something. David says, hey, look, guys, it's worth me back. They do it. And now all of a sudden the northern tribes are upset. Well, why do you let us do it? Well, there's pettiness there, but also, uh, you know, it's one thing to say about and sing about how much you love Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But what are you, are you living like that, right? Are you ready? Are you living expectantly? And so it just seems to me that the, the, the kind of the, the elephant in the room when I read all that is that well you had your chance and you didn't do you didn't act on it you talked about it but then you just let it go. So that's kind of what I saw in all that, and so it, it it's it's loyalty is easy to talk about, but um, if you don't follow through, you sit in church. And you avow that Christ is Lord and the Bible is our only authority. But you, 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 uh, you speak a good word, but you don't follow after. You don't practice what you preach. And so, for example, you know, you got someone who's just faithful and believes the truth and all this kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden, uh, someone comes along that he decides he likes better than a spouse. And Bible goes out the door. The Lord goes out the door. Everything that you know, and He decides that He's got to have uh, this one who uh, is not uh, the Lord would not have him, or someone's wronged me. And I know what the Bible says about forgiveness and about uh, restoration, all that. But I just I'm not going to do it. You know, we're so full of ourselves that we will not obey the Lord. And to me, that's that's a, that's what that's, that's why it's not so difficult on these guys because it's so easy for us to fall into that same trap. We we talk a good talk, but do we back it up? Do we follow through with what we say? And of course, that should be our goal, right? We, we want to be faithful to the Lord, not just with our words. As James says, you know, not don't just look in the mirror, but be doers of the word, right? And in northern the northern tribes here, we're not doers of the word, and and I don't think I'm reading too much into it because we know that when the division comes under Rehoboam, the northern tribes uh, go right off into idolatry and, and, and no one puts up a fight. So you see, that the, the, these people have problems spiritually and they show it in different ways. <clears throat> so I'm thankful at the end of the day that uh, the Lord always keeps the remnant faithful to him. We might not do it well, but I hope that we will be faithful till we die, till the Lord brings us home. And that's our, it's something that we pray about, that we think about, that we meditate on. I want to be faithful day by day. I don't want to be an also ran. <clears throat>
so we, we won't uh, probably get into this. Uh, chapter 20. When all this takes place, uh, this worthless man, verse 1, called Sheba, stands up and says, uh, We have no portion in David. We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his tents, O Israel. So basically, he leads a rebellion. So we're, we're done with David. You know, as I said, David comes back and immediately falls into problems. And uh, what happens is that he leads a rebellion. David sends um, Amasa, who he had made the captain of his guard, instead of Joab, go and, uh, you know, put a into all this, Joab, when he gets Amasa by himself, kills him, which that's what Joab does. Again, all that's going to come back upon Joab. And so now Joab is back to leading the army, and David, again, has never had a problem telling his cousins no. And uh, what happens is that uh, the enemies, Israel's defeated. Uh, uh, Sheba runs to a city. And kind of hiding out, and Joab knows he's there, so they besiege the city, and they're about to, to destroy the city, and, and a wise woman says, look, um, what do you want? You know, and just tell us what you want, and we don't want, we don't want to be, you know, killed, and he says, we want, I want Sheba's head. So she gets the, you know, whoever, <clears throat> and leaders of the town, they cut off his head, throw it over the wall, and, uh, Joab leaves, right? And so you see a little bit of wisdom there. But that's kind of what happens in uh, most of chapter 20. The, the last thing, though, that I wanted to just deal with is verse 3. When David gets back to Jerusalem, he came to his house. It says the king took the ten concubines and he had left to care for the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if in widowhood. You remember these are ten concubines that Absalom basically raped in front of Israel to claim the throne of his father. And, you know, I don't know. Of course, it's here because it's kind of following up and completing some of this stuff. I don't know what all we're supposed to see here. It certainly is this sad consequences of, of sinful actions. Um, and, and as, as a modern day reader, I read this and I'm thinking, boy, um, was that fair? These, these women, through no fault of their own, were, were, I think, basically raped by Absalom, right? And now David says, uh, I'm not going to, no longer, I'm no longer going to have a relationship with you guys. I'm going to care for you. I'm basically going to shut you up. You're going to have your home. I don't know if they were allowed to leave their home. It doesn't really say. I don't know. But it just seemed like, boy, they got the short end of that stick, right? Was that fair, you know? And in our, you know, I think in our day and culture, we would be bothered by that, and probably we should. Now, you know, some commentators don't really make too much about it. David couldn't just release them and let them remarry because that would have been an assault on his throne in a sense. And I understand that. Uh, that's, that's a possibility. Um, that he at least provided for them. So, for of course, a single woman in those days, that was no good thing. So he at least provided for them, so it wasn't all that bad. 
and I guess all that is true to some degree. Uh, perhaps they were a reminder of his own sin because he knows that, that the reason Absalom did that to them was directly because of his sin with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet said that, right? So you can, I guess, understand it to some degree, but it just seems like, well, they are being treated in a very un, unfair way for David's sin. But the final thing I'll say about that, to me, though, it, there's a hypocrisy again. This is this is one of the, the things that we see with David and hypocrisy with his family. He had defiled another man's wife, right, Bathsheba, and yet he, after he murdered her husband, doesn't say, "Well, you know, you're defiled, and, and you know, I, I don't want you know anything to do with you." No, he receives her into, makes him his wife, and uh, in some case, in some ways, if Get into First Kings, perhaps his primary wife even. So instead of shunning her because she had been defiled, he uh, brings her into his home, has children with her, and uh, doesn't turn his back on him on her. These ten concubines, and they were concubines, but they're still. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, they had been defiled. Through no fault of their own, and David does turn his back on them. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to have any more relationships with you. You're going to live by yourself the rest of your life. And to me, it's just it's inconsistency. It, it's that same thing. It is treating my sins differently than somebody else's sins, even though they're the same. And we talked about this over and over again in Second Samuel. Just that should, should be one of our constant prayers. Lord, help me to be consistent, to be to treat my own sin in the same way that I treat somebody else's sin. And if you treat your own sin wrong, that doesn't mean you treat somebody else's sin wrong. I want to treat it properly, biblically. I want to do what's right. I want to be consistent in that sin. That if I do what's wrong, I I, I do I live the same way and I treat the same way as I would expect somebody else to do. And that just doesn't seem to be the case here with David. And again, I, I guess that there's certainly other ways that people can look at that. But I just feel, I just kind of felt sorry for these women. You know, that they weren't getting the same treatment that Bathsheba did. Uh, and that really the same sin had happened. It was rape in, uh, in both cases to some degree or uh, certainly an unlawful relationship, right? So, Maybe it reminds us, though, that at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to live a lot of their lives having been treated unfairly, like these poor women. To the day they died, they were treated in a way that they had no control over. But if we'll be faithful to the Lord, the Lord will reward us. Nothing happens apart from his will. There's a reason for it. You won't be the first to be taken advantage of, to be treated unfairly. And if it happens, and there's not anything you can do about it, we can say that about these women, there's not a thing they can do about it, right? If it happens to you, get, by the grace of God, be patient and say, you know what? I might not have a fulfilled life in, in some ways, but I know the day is coming. When all this will be forgotten.
and the Lord will make it right. I'm not the first person to go through these things. Those are things, things that help us endure patiently to the end. Right? We'll stop there. Any for your love to us this day and for the word of God and Lord, as we see examples, people going through things that often were difficult, but the Lord helps us to stop and to think things through and to learn what we can and to see the good and the bad examples that we might not, in some cases, make the same mistake. We might be faithful to the Lord and learn what true love is, to learn by example of Mephibosheth, who only lived for his Savior, David, the one who took care of him, the one who did not judge him, but gave him mercy. May we follow in that train, we pray in Jesus' name.